This episode was originally a live conversation streamed in November 2021 on the topic of fundraising. For even more detailed information on how to successfully raise funds, check out our fundraising masterclass with Sophie Lamparter and Pascal Koenig, available on our website free of charge. Go to swisspreneur.org slash fundraising to find out more. I don't know if we would have started Dart if it stayed in Switzerland. But I think yeah. when you're here and you have all these people around, you starting companies and <laughs> having crazy ideas and moving things, then you're like, oh, maybe we should try that as well. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Good afternoon or good morning to you, Sophie. Thank you so Thank much you. for joining us today. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. So today we have a very special episode, of course, to an investor. We're going to talk about fundraising. Before we do so, I want to quickly introduce you. You are the founder and managing partner at Dart Labs, an accelerator investing in Swiss early stage uh, startups and also helping them scale in the U.S. in San Francisco. And you basically have a lot of experience building the U.S. partnerships, also the bridging the gap between Switzerland and the U.S., so this is also my first question to you for this live session. What does it actually take to bridge the gap between two fairly different ecosystems on a daily basis? How do you manage that? <laughs> I mean, are, is this a personal question? <laughs> I mean, you, no. you live there, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've, um, yeah, I've been dealing with this for quite a bit, right? I uh, moved to the US uh, 2011, so soon it's actually 11 years and honestly I, I was thinking i would come for a year and uh even still had a boyfriend and a house back in zurich and say yeah i'll be back soon and it never happened so i think i got quite excited about certain things here in the us and i think everybody who has traveled here sees a clear difference i think uh, at the core of culture and also in a way mindset of of the people I think what, uh, I mean, there's a lot we can criticize about the US, but what I love, especially about the region I'm here in California and San Francisco is the the risk taking, the always looking for opportunity, the yeah. optimism that we can make change and that change is a good thing and that the future will be better and that we all can like kind of play an active role in it and that things are possible. And that's really something that inspires me quite a bit every day. Yeah, that that's uh, yeah. optimism, that positive spirit. It, it's really contagious to a certain degree. It it is, it is, and I'm honestly like uh, we say that. So my my co-founder Ariana, she she's she's back in Zurich, but we both met here. She's also Swiss, and we say this conversation quite a bit. We say like I don't know if we would have started Dart if it stayed in Switzerland. But I think yeah. when you're here and you have all these people around, you starting companies and <laughs> having crazy ideas and, and, and moving moving things, then you're like, oh, maybe we should try that as well. Right? And I think that's for me, it's, it's, it's one of the big difference. Uh, mm -hmm. um, I mean, the, the example was, was also a personal one when I had a, kind of a decent job before, right? I was working uh, for the Swiss government at Swissnext. I had kind of a career path. Uh, Potentially, you can now become a CEO of one of these Swiss Nexus. Uh, 
pretty solid uh, uh, career and pension and, 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 and all of sure. that, right? A very safe job and an interesting job too, right? But of course, uh, yeah. not your own. So quitting that job and taking the risk of building Dart was something that here in the US, everybody was like, congratulations, Sophie, that's amazing. <laughs> they didn't even like properly ask what it was. Just mm -hmm. the fact that you're making that decision and that step was something to celebrate. And in Switzerland, from friends and business partners, everyone was just like, are you sure? How are you going to make money? <laughs> Is this a good idea? <laughs> Sounds a little risky, yeah. you know? So I, I think for me, that's the biggest difference. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really significant. On yeah. the other hand, what do you think, you know, if you then take the US perspective on Switzerland, what surprises people from the US when they come to Switzerland or work with Swiss startups, Swiss companies, Swiss people? I mean, I think they're all super impressed about technologies that we're developing in Switzerland, talent there is, the excellent universities. You know, if you don't deal with technology, I think people think of Switzerland as you know, mountains and chocolate, like, I like those stereotypes, but then they yeah. realize, oh my God, no, they're at the forefront of like AI, robotics, biotech. I mean, all these things are, are become visible when you look a little bit deeper, right? Mm -hmm. And people, of course, who work in tech, um, they know that more and more. I mean, ETH uh, yeah. has now quite the international reputation that even, even Silicon Valley <laughs> has, has, has understood, yeah. Um, but there's, of course, still for us a role, I think. I mean, at least that's what a little bit the mission of DART is, is not just helping the Swiss and European founders to accelerate here, but also help American investors, tech companies, big players to show uh, what's happening yeah, in Switzerland and, and, and spot the talent early. Yeah, Putting Switzerland on the map, so to speak, of the startup and the VC world in the US. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I like that. That's a very important <laughs> job to, to be done. So the first question I want to ask you in relation to the fundraising part, the fundraising topic, the first step before you actually want to take on any money, any funding from investor is you do have to reflect whether you are a VC backable company. That's something that often gets forgotten because everybody around you is raising money. And then you think, oh, they are all raising money. I should also start to raise money. So how do I find out if my company is VC backable or not? Um, I mean, I think there are a few things, right? Um, I think if you see an opportunity to bootstrap a company and still be able to go at scale, I think that's also a very good option. I, I don't think uh, uh, taking investors is always the only way to be successful, right? So that's maybe the first thing. Uh, then the other thing is how scalable uh, do you think this can be and also how scalable do you want this to be, right? Mm -hmm. uh, VC money only goes in the most scalable companies, right? Uh, yeah. the, the goal of every VC, and that's a really, really simple math for everybody out there to know, is every single investment a VC wants to this potentially to be an entire fund returner. So that's how they look at the startup. So if you're if you're dealing with a $100 million fund, every investment they do, they potentially want their investment to return $100 million. So yeah. you can't even, and they will not have 100% equity, right? So if they have 10%, that has to become a unicorn. Otherwise, it's not going to be worth uh, yeah. to even get involved. And so in terms of your own kind of fin finances, uh, 
there's a bit of, you know, standard metrics that VCs look at. And it's around like being able to do 5 million in revenue within five years and 10 million in 10. So really just this and then exponentially double every year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I if, like you go, if you go below that, then it maybe it's not interesting for VC. If you're much higher, mm-hmm. they probably don't believe you. So <laughs> it's somewhere, it's somewhere in there. Yeah, it's and, a, and, a delicate I, balance. Yeah, and I see that a lot. Honestly, we 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 do tell uh, startups that come to us a lot: is this ambitious enough? Right, yeah. because there is definitely. Uh, yeah, you were asking about the gap, right? Um, there is definitely a gap how you present your goals in Switzerland as well as in the US is uh, mm-hmm. usually uh, one is a little bit more conservative back in Switzerland. And so we, we actually try to push entrepreneurs not just to like, hey, what do you really think is possible? Isn't there more? like, don't be don't be mo- too modest, uh, but also don't oversell, right? Like find this like healthy sure. balance of, I know, we call it stretch goals. <laughs> a goal that is ambitious but achievable, you know. Yeah. Nice. And yeah. in the beginning, you, you often also have to make a choice whether you want to go directly for VCs, like the traditional, the, the VCs with a fund or the bigger firms, yep. Yep. or business angels. So, which one would you choose, and and why? What does make sense at what stage? Uh, I mean, I, I, I love business angels, right? Business angels can be really good and really important. Uh, many of them are smart money, right? And and so should actually a fund be. I think what I would, I wouldn't choose like, is it angels or fund? The question is more who can help me add value to this. This mm-hmm. can be in, an individual who has deep knowledge about your sector, your industry, your technology, who can potentially bring a network that's relevant to you. This could be an angel, an individual, or this could be the right fund. Uh, yeah. So I, I wouldn't make the difference there. I would rather look what what can they add. And I would highly recommend everyone uh, to really choose carefully, right? I think... Uh, Money, in a way, is a commodity. If you have a good company and if you have a good product and a good team, you will be able to find money. But finding mm-hmm. the right people that are supporting your company in the long term, that are there for you when it, things are going great, but also when things are difficult, uh, I think that adds most value. Nice. Yeah. I, that's also quite a refreshing perspective. We already got the first statements and questions in. So okay. uh, I want to bring up the first one here from Christoph. I think that's an interesting take also with your experience and your mm-hmm. perspective. Did the pandemic change priorities and preferences of VC investors? That could be, of course, in, in any kind. Like, do you do larger or smaller rounds now? Or do you see uh, sectors like the travel sector being sort of avoided while other sectors supporting video conferencing, for example, being boosted and, and uh, gaining much more relevance for VC investors? What do you see there in terms of development? I think one of the biggest changes was um, how the investments are done, right? It's uh, before it was no question. You had to be there in person. You had to have this VC meeting in person. So we dealt with a lot of uh, startups from Switzerland and Europe coming for a week, trying to put in as many investor meetings, then being away again and trying to come back. And 
So that that is removed. You can do a lot on Zoom now. I mean, we have done uh, a lot of the investments over Zoom, and so do uh, so do other colleagues of ours. So I think that in terms of the logistics of your fundraise is uh, a huge uh, asset and an advantage now. I think, especially mm -hmm. for European founders. Um, so that's that's that piece. Then I think at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, there was a lot of like, oh, now everybody was pitching like, okay, this is now for remote teams or this is now a business that is growing through the pandemic. But I think real investors and I, I'm trying to count myself to them was trying to look more long term. Hopefully mm -hmm. we get this pandemic eventually under control, right? And we'll be able to travel again. And yeah. of course we will be... I would not have invested in a in a company that I'd say is like a pandemic solution, right? Even that that might increase and and creates value. But for example, we invested in a, a virtual event platform, but that also works hybrid because we do have the hope that there is going to be some sort of normality coming back. Yeah, of course. Um, then I think another thing is, uh, at least that's what I'm noticing, is I think the kind of impact component has become mm -hmm. much stronger for a lot of investors uh, around health and around climate change. Uh, and I, I do believe the pandemic has been a big reminder for all of us how vulnerable uh, the ecosystem is. Yeah. In that regard, you mentioned doing Zoom meetings to meet investors. Yep. Have you ever done a, a Zoom only or a remote only closing where you actually never met the founders in person yes. at all? Yes, we have. So that's not a deal breaker at all then? No, no, no we have oh. done several. We have done several. Yeah. And, uh, so, and so my colleagues. I mean, it's always nice uh, to be able to yeah, meet this person. And as soon as we have the opportunity, we will. Because I also think... I still believe that the relationships uh, can become stronger when you mm -hmm. have a beer or lunch, right? <laughs> or, or yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, absolutely. So if we can, we if we can, we absolutely do. If it's not possible, it's not a deal breaker at all. Yeah, sure. On the other hand, what we also currently see in the financial markets is that they get flooded by central bank money. So you have much more money in the markets, and also, therefore, as a result much more money being invested into startups, driving up valuations. Mm -hmm. As an investor, do you see that in, in any form that the competition increases or that it's harder to get into the deals? How do you experience that one? Abs absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, valuations are getting higher. There's more investors. Competition on the same deals, exactly what you were saying. And I think the, it's really a, a macro trend, right? Uh, mm -hmm. More and more... Um, private equity firms who uh, come into earlier stage, big VC firms have started their seed uh, seed fund. So it's yeah. basically giving it a shift to earlier stage. And we are kind of still safe because we do pre-seed. Uh, I don't know if many VCs touch pre-seed yet, but, uh, but on the seed level, you have now a lot of uh, big VC firms with very, very deep pockets. Uh, um, yeah. I, I think yeah. there it, it was you who actually told me that pre-seed is the new seed round. <laughs> Did I say that? <laughs> I think so. Maybe. And then, I mean, for me anyway, it's, it's always mind-blowing mind also the difference still between Switzerland, Europe and, and here the US, right? Yeah. Often the valuation can just 
be doubled by by just being in the US and having the right investors here. I mean, I just had a a really crazy story this week. I I talked to a founder, European founder, and they were talking about something like a six to ten, six to eight million valuation was his goal uh, back in Europe, and he already had term sheets and negotiations. And then uh, he got accepted into Y Combinator. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then Y Combinator recommends you to to basically stop these conversations. And investors came back and like, okay, what about fifteen? And he was like, no, 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 no. We'll talk again in March. And what about 20? Exactly the same investor who wanted to give a $6 million term sheet. And you're like, oh, so embarrassing for our entire industry. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Because the company or the team hasn't changed. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Do do you think that this is sustainable? Like, is it just a a result of the pandemic or... Will it always continue to be like that? Because it's like the good deals are scarce and therefore the prices just uh, increase to insane levels to a certain degree. Yeah, it has to be some sort of bubble that's bursting eventually, yeah. right? Uh, it cannot continue like that. And uh, I, yeah, so I don't know. Our, st- our strategy in, in that sense is really to invest in teams and technology that are here for the long run, right? Mm-hmm. And I think um, we do a lot of also deep tech and and a bit more difficult uh, things to scale, also sometimes hardware, uh, where a lot of VCs still stay away from it. And there, I think we're, we're in for the long run. Yeah. Great. So <laughs> something that you also, you know, the best case scenario is, of course, the investors finding you. But very often, you as a startup actually have to go and look for investors. So what are some of the best ways to do that from your experience? What would you recommend startups to do to actually look for investors? Um, yeah, I mean, it's really important, I think, to have a good list of investors you want to talk to before you even start the process. Because one one of the things, and and, and, and you probably have heard that in all the all the kind of how to how to fundraise <laughs> uh, sessions, but um, FOMO is a real thing amongst investors, right? Uh, the fear of missing out. So you always want to create this momentum. You always want to talk to several investors at the same time. You don't want to talk to only one. Um, because then this one person can just say, okay, yeah, it's interesting and drag this on and yeah, come back in a few months, show me your progress, you know, but if you're talking to a few, there could be the fear that you're closing the deal and they're missing out. So yeah. it's really important that you talk to many at the same time and, and, and in a kind of de- uh, condensed time frame, right? So really yeah. create that momentum. So the, the big, the, the most important thing is to have a really good list at the beginning. And so what I would do is I would uh, look at other companies that are similar, mm-hmm. not direct competitors, but in a similar field, see what uh, who their investors are. And that's really easy to find out online, do a bit of crunch-based research and so forth, and a bit of Googling. So that's that's one, one good thing to do. Talking to a lot of other entrepreneurs, finding out who their mm-hmm. investors are, what investors yeah. they like, uh, do your own research on funds, go through your network. Um, I think it's still very valuable to have a personal introduction 
to every investor. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it is it is a reality, right? If uh, a good contact of mine, let's say a startup that we invested in, or an investor of mine, or even a friend of mine yeah, of comes course. to me comes to me and says, hey, I, I met this team, they're, they're really cool, could you have a look? Daniel, you look, right? Of course uh, you do that, yeah. 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 And so, so that that might take some time, and don't be shy to ask people for introductions. I think that's mm-hmm. that's how you build your network, and and we all do that. And yeah. and good good investors will also help you, like they say, like oh maybe this is too early stage for us, but I could I could introduce you to this person. So don't be shy asking that. Also, if you get a no somewhere, right? Like oh, do you know somebody else? This could be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's like in in a B two B sales process. It's very similar from my perspective. If, yeah, if they uh, don't sure, want to buy, yeah. oh, do you know anyone else who might benefit who from might, our who solution? Might buy. Yeah, exactly. And, and and I think what what uh, a lot of entrepreneurs they're kind of thinking they they need to raise money, right? So yeah. they need investors, uh, and they're kind of trying to sell to investors, but. I think you're probably more successful if you shift your mindset and you think like you're giving these investors an opportunity. Investors yeah. are looking for investments. That's yeah. their main thing. And it's hard to find good investments. It's, it's really what their success is dependent on your success, right? So if you're building a company, you're basically giving them a chance to be part of that. Yeah. And if you, I think if you think <laughs> like that, uh, your fundraising is probably going to be a little easier because it's not actually you're trying to sell to them. You're actually just offering them a partnership, you know? Yeah. I love yeah. that perspective. It's also mm-hmm. what you mentioned before. Like if you build a successful company, if you build a strong track traction in, in terms of you have a lot of users or some nice revenue and some strong growth, then the money will basically follow you because you're building something Absolutely. valuable. Versus Absolutely. you focus too much on getting the investors on board, you completely forget because you cannot split your time into doing both uh, very, very good at the same time. Yeah. You do have to make trade-offs in, in that regard. If you focus too much on the fundraising process, not that it has to be that way, but maybe you're not building the best case possible, the strongest traction possible. And if I had to choose, I would always go for traction. Money will follow because if mm-hmm. you build something people want, you either can bootstrap for longer or the investors will knock on your door because you have such a cool case that they want to invest in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's that's probably a really big challenge for every CEO and every team yeah. is like to set these priorities, right? Because fundraising takes time uh, and you don't want it to to be your only job, right? You yeah. and that and that's another thing, like prepare it well, do it focused, like make sure your team knows, okay, the next two months we're fundraising, right? Because because the CEO will will have to be absorbed for a while. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And make a good decision when you do that. And then then there's also like, you're kind of always fundraising a little bit, right? In the sense, like you're always building relationships. You always have to take about the next round. So yeah. Yeah. After the round is before the round. Yes. (laughs) And it's also okay sometimes to tell an investor, hey, like right now it's not the time to talk. Let's talk again in six months, right? Because Because you need focus. You need to build a company. I think the fundraising should be a side, a side, Ideally, <laughs> a side yeah. project. Ideally, exactly. exactly. Yeah. This talk is supported by SmallPDF, the successful Swiss scale-up making PDF easy for over a billion people around the world since 2013. 
You may remember them from a previous podcast we hosted with their CEO, Dennis Just. Their mission is to make PDFs and life easy for people across the world, a mission made possible with their 90 plus amazing employees across Zurich, Belgrade and Barcelona. If you want to join this fast growing Swiss scale up, visit smallpdf.com forward slash Swisspreneur and apply. So then once you have that initial contact set up, either through a referral or you reached out cold to investors, usually what you also send them or then even present in a call is your pitch deck, right? So what makes a good pitch deck? What gets your attention as an investor? So startupers can learn how to build the right uh, pitch deck. I, th- I think like, I, I mean, that's very personal. I think mm-hmm. we were also a, a team uh, at Dart and I think so are most funds. And often I think each one of the partner brings a specific lens on what he or she cares about and, and, and what yeah. they look for, right? Um, and I'm, I'm very people oriented. So I really look for story. I really look for passion in a founder. I really look for a good functioning team. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's maybe my biggest advice to especially Swiss founders is they often forget the, the story and the excitement in their pitch. Like, yeah. give me, give me the, why are you doing this? Give me yeah. the, why are you the right team to do this? Make, give, make me excited. And then you can give me the market and the metrics and, and, and all of that. Right. Mm-hmm. But first, like, why, you know? And, uh, I think they, Americans do that really well. Right. Yeah. They, they get you excited. And then you're, because imagine if a VC looks at, uh, several pitches a day, right. And sure. you need to be able to shift from why should I care about this, right? So yeah. give, give them a hook at the very beginning. Right? Yeah. And, and there's this uh, question related from, from Moritz. Are U.S. startups better prepared for pitching to investors than European startups? Is there a difference? And that's what you just mentioned, right, with the storytelling. Why are you doing that? Do you have a good example? Is it like solving your own problem that gets you attached, like a, a great personal story behind it? Or... What is it that hooks you to that startup team, to the company's vision that gets your attention? Yeah, it, it's either it's either uh, why this is really going to make a difference and why this is a huge problem you're tackling, right? Like mm-hmm. this type of excitement and story and how you found out about that and why, why you know that your solution is really needed or then yeah. very personal, right? Uh, we have that too, right? Like something that you experience or some specific know-how that the founding team has that brought them to that insight or that conclusion. But I think tie it very much, especially in early stage, tie it very much to that team because mm-hmm. basically you're investing in the team uh, and the idea yeah. at this at this early stage, right? And uh, I think most of the conversations uh, we have also among our team and with other investors is often, do you like, is, is that the right team, right? Yeah. And it's I mean, for in- the first five years, you know? Sure. And then maybe you hire a CEO and maybe there's somebody else really does the yeah. huge scale up. But uh, for the first five years, it has to be the founding team, right? Yeah. There is crucial because it's easier to replace the idea than the full team, right? If the plan mm-hmm. doesn't work out. And there will always be challenges. And 
if you need to make a pivot, a good team can execute that. But if the team is wrong, even the best idea yeah. will probably not work yeah. out. Question from Moritz. I think um, because I, when I was working at Swissnext, you know, I wasn't only working with startups. I was also working with professors and corporates and, and, and a lot of different types of people. And this whole storytelling component, I could see across any type of 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 industry or, or discipline i think americans are just uh tr more trained also in school to just get up and tell their story and it's yeah. just more more i think it's just training you know mm -hmm. um so i think the swiss can definitely uh yeah bring it up a notch um i think often often in a pitch deck the why is missing and i'm like well why should i care <laughs> give me give me the why sure yeah. and here maybe that's also good related question from paul he said you're invested in inverse what is their vision so what basically attracted you to their vision to invest in that company mm -hmm. so inverse at the time so they that was very very early that was even before we we had our own fund basically we, yeah. did, a we did a syndicate to be able to invest in inverse so they're an epfl spin-off um, what they're doing is uh, is basically hologram technology. So they have um, built their own engine that is voxel-based to be able to have a 3D representation of, of your body in a virtual space. So um, nice. what excited me is uh, eventually, I mean, now there is a lot of buzz around the metaverse, right? I don't yeah. know how much you are going to want to be there as an avatar. Or do we eventually want to be there as Sophie and Sylvan and Paul uh, and yeah. interact with each other that way? So I think hologram technology uh, will eventually feel the most natural to interact. Um, that's why we invested. And yes, of course, uh, they have already had an office here in the US. For them, it was pretty clear uh, that they have to have a presence here uh, mm -hmm. in terms of VR and augmented reality and spatial computing and all of that. There's just a lot more companies working on on this here. And there's also more money flowing into this yeah. here. And I think they're, they're having a moment right now. They're racing around right now. And I think they benefit highly from that whole metaverse buzz. So, yeah, of course, the <laughs> timing is a, right. Yeah, I have a call with them Monday, so I'll, I'll get Perfect. the update. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Hey, thank you all for these great questions. Keep them coming. I also have a few more for you, Sophie. And basically, one thing that often happens when you're looking for investors, you know, they lead on you. So they say they are initially interested. They find your company, your team fascinating, but then maybe they don't communicate it directly, but they have no intention of following through and actually doing an investment. How do you deal with those investors? Because you don't want to sort of close the door if they eventually might still invest. You don't know. But at the same time, you also can't wait forever. So how do you handle that as a startup founder to not burn any bridges? I mean, ask, ask them directly. Ask them, ask them how likely is it that you're investing in this round? What are your uh, normal ticket sizes? How long does it take you to close? Do you lead? Do you follow? Uh, how much have you reserved for follow-ons? Like all these things I highly recommend to ask an investor. And you can ask that um, 
in the first call, like the way they mm -hmm. ask you questions around your startup and, and what your plans yeah. are, the same way you should ask them what their plans are. And they will tell you and they actually don't mind. Like, uh, I don't mind if I get these questions because then I know this founder actually understands what, what matters, right? So yeah. um, I don't be shy to ask them questions. And if, if they, if they, if they drag things on, uh, then you just like that, that's what I said before, this, this kind of dragging things on. It's like, they're like, ah, oh, they're not quite sure because they want to wait until like this lead comes in or another investor that they look up to. And as soon mm -hmm. as that happens, they're probably in. Right. Yeah. So many of them. Uh, we say sometimes some investors are also just sheep, you know, they like to follow others sure. that are leading. Yeah. And so many of them are probably in that category. They keep the conversation and let's talk again because they want to see, do you, are you going to be able to pull this round off? Is there going to yeah. be a, an interesting EDC coming in? So keep them warm until you have that lead. And then yeah. let them know. So uh, now I know the round. This is my timeline. Um, these are the terms. Are you in? Are you out? Uh, perfect. I, it's also a really good question to include in, in the catalog that you just described. Are you usually leading the round or do you prefer mm -hmm. to follow? Yeah. I love these questions to qualify because it's a two-way street. You yeah. are partners eye to eye on the same yeah. level. And it's not like the investor is so gratefully giving you something. No, it's a no, partnership. Absolutely. That's you're crucial. giving you're giving the investor something, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean what 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 an entrepreneur is building is uh, has a lot more value. Honestly, that's what sure. I think. Than yeah. somebody gathering money somewhere and investing it. Oh, I'm not saying that this is not an important job, right? But sure. yeah. <laughs> but you're 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 the main actor in this, right? Yeah. You're building the company, you're building the product, you have an invention, you you yeah. Um so yeah, see it differently. I think the hierarchy, I mean it should be eye to eye at least, you know. Sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And and another thing that that I recommend is uh and follow-on investors aren't bad, right? But it's really good for you to know who are the potential lead investors and who are the potential exactly. follow-ons. And then you focus, of course, on the lead to get the terms. And mm -hmm. the follow-on investors, you can always ask like, hey, um, is it okay to communicate that you would follow once I found a lead, right? And they, they might actually say yes. And then it's like, yeah, could, could you mention a ticket size or a range? What or do you, would you consider investing? And they might say, yeah, yeah, our ticket would be between three and 500,000. And then you can use that to talk to the lead investor and to the others say, hey, I've already soft committed this and this. Uh, I already have people to fill the round. You know, Perfect. these are all, these are all good, good, good things that other investors love to hear, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's all about building that momentum and also the trust to a certain degree. Nobody likes to, you know, go into too much risk and say, oh, I don't know if the others join, but if you can build that momentum, perfect. It's, 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 all, it's all about that. It's all about that. And I, I've, I've, I've been in that, in that process, right? Where mm -hmm. nobody, nobody's making a decision. Everybody's kind of waiting yeah. and one makes the decision and then everybody wants it, you know? <laughs> exactly. Like... Yeah. yeah. Then one thing that you often also hear are NDAs. Should you as a startup make prospective investors sign an NDA or is that a, a red flag and no-go? 
I, I would not. I mean, avoid as, as, as long as you can. Like you want to you wanna keep the barriers really low for sure. them to uh, talk to you, be interested. I mean, I don't I can't imagine what uh, for the first couple of, of conversations would be there that you cannot share. Right. If there yeah. is something that's really highly confidential, maybe on the level of the data room where you have like IP paperwork and patents and things like that, then I think uh, you can do it um, if, mm -hmm. if, if you see the need. Um, yeah. And yeah, but uh, before that, I, I, I would not. And make it, easy, make it easy for, for, for investors to like go through your material. Uh, that's yeah. another thing, right? Uh, because if it get, if it gets too complicated, uh, you might, you might just risk to lose their, uh, their, uh, interest. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I was once somebody invited us to a data room where there was this like mark over every document, you know, the confidentiality, okay. more confidentiality mark. And it was so impossible to read that you're just like, oh. No, I don't, I, up there, yeah. sure. I don't want to deal with it. So definitely, yep. yeah, try to avoid that. And have yep. your things ready, have your things ready. So like, that's a, maybe another good advice. Mm -hmm. um, also, also related to the momentum, right? If, um, if I have seen the deck, uh, I had a first conversation, then I, I want to, I wa have more questions, right? I'm asking yep. maybe for projections or something. And then, oh yeah, we're building them right now. I'll get back to you next week. That's not good because yeah. then I know I'm the only person that has asked, right? Sure. <laughs> and then I think you're yeah. not quite ready yet. So better have all your things ready that uh, the investors potentially ask and, and, and have that in your back pocket. So when the question comes, yeah, here, right, here it is. Boom, boom, boom. You know, and that was like, yeah. oh, okay, something is happening. It's going. Sure. Okay. I Thank you for asking, time. Sophie. We actually got yeah. that question a lot. Here's our sheet. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Perfect. Perfect. Oh yeah. This this asked me yesterday. Here it is. No. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Then of course another hot topic. Um it, it there's no general answer to that, but let's focus on the pre-seed stage. Mm -hmm. Founders always ask, how much equity should I give up at that stage? I know there's no fixed number or one solution that fits all, but what is your recommendation about thinking of how much equity you should give away? I mean, honestly, as as little as possible, right? Because yeah. you are in for the long run, and you will have other financing rounds um, that you potentially need to do and want to do. Mm -hmm. um, so the rule of thumb is, is try to stay under twenty percent for each round. Yeah. Uh, it depends a little bit on the stage and frequency of of the rounds, right? But usually. Um, I mean, it's also there. It's a little bit of, of uh, finding the right balance, right? Uh, thinking about what's the potential valuation I can get at this stage mm -hmm. I'm in. And then from there, how much money does that allow me to raise in that stage to be able to reach a next, we call those inflection point that would increase my valuation, right? So yeah. basically, we're telling people just because you could raise 5 million right now, maybe that's not the right thing because your valuation cannot go much higher than 10 and you would give up already 50% of your company. So maybe already raise only 1 million, right? And only sure. give up 15% of your company. And with this 1 million, you get to a point where you can sit, show customers, where you can show a finished product or whatever it is. And that will mm -hmm. enable you to raise that at a higher valuation uh, for that yeah. next round. 
So and yeah, it's kind of um, raise enough so you 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 don't have to fundraise all the time. Yeah. Uh, ideally, it lasts you a year, eighteen months, right? Mm -hmm. and have a bit of a buffer um, because it's also kind of nice if you go into the next fundraising round and still have at least six months of runway. Yeah. So you're not like if you start raising and you have the water already here, then you're yeah. not in a good position to negotiate. You're exactly. not in a good position to make choices. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> so raise what you need plus another six months, I don't something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Cool. And you mentioned and investors, good, good investors should be able to uh, talk to you about this too, right? Like, of um, like, what are your plans for this round? What is your plan for the next round? What yeah. will you need for the next potentially two rounds? Like, all of that should be part of your deck and also part of a discussion with your with your investor. And you mentioned the inflection points. They are so crucial, not only for the fundraising story but then also for future rounds because you have to hit them to be able to raise the next round, right? Mm -hmm. Do you have good examples of such inflection points? Yeah, it's really anything that, that gives validation, right? Okay. Uh, traction is a good validation, right? It's customers, it's entering a new market, having a product in the next version ready, uh, yeah. Hitting milestones in terms of your team growth, uh, yeah, yeah. Cool. I, every everything everything that validates that you're doing the right thing and that you're going to be successful, right? Yeah. Uh, basically, that that gives every investor comfort that you you're going to make it, right? And so, mm -hmm. my my little story before from YC, right? Even though that's crazy, but the fact that YC is um is an investor is some sort of validation. Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah. Are you or is that going to quadruple your valuation? Probably not, but, <laughs> but it's, it's an indicator that you're going to succeed, and it's a mm -hmm. almost a hundred percent indicator that you're going to be able to close the next round, right? And that's yeah. worth something. So absolutely, yeah. And then you know you also have to sort of justify the valuation to your potential investors because. You don't want to have it too low to give away too much equity, but you also, of course, have to balance all the future hope, especially at such an early stage, like a pre-seed. So how do you justify the valuation of your company? Do you have any good framework or tip on how to do that? I, I, I mean, there is, yeah, talk to a few people, I think. That's what I, come, come up with something. Come mm -hmm. up with something that you think feels right and fair. Uh, it's not too high, so you're able to, to. I mean, that's another thing, right? Uh, it's right. All a very high valuation is not always the best thing because you need to be able to raise the next round, and ideally, you want to double. So if you have the way too much, uh, and a too high valuation, and suddenly it becomes difficult to to yeah. match that. So being somewhere in a healthy, fair uh, range. Uh, so think about it. What what do you think makes sense? Um, mm -hmm. Look at other companies in your area and what they've gotten uh, and then go out and test it. I think that's uh, what I would do is uh, talk to a few investors that maybe uh, don't invest in your field but uh, or that you're friends with or that somebody knows and test it. And see, like, hey, I'm thinking that. Does this make sense? And with many of them, you can also discuss, right? Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, 
uh, yeah, but it's a tricky thing because it's a little bit artificial in a way, mm. right? Yeah. Uh, especially in that early stage where you don't have actually any sales numbers yet or any revenue, right? So it's really how much value does has the team, the idea, how big is the opportunity? Yeah. So, um, yeah, there, there is no clear rule, but there are ranges, right? I mean, if mm -hmm. it's, if it's, if it's pre-seed, it depends a little bit if there is like a lot of IP, if you're like an university spin-off or if it's just a good kind of service product, but it's somewhere between two and five million in the, in the pre-seed stage. And then in the seed stage, it's somewhere between five and 10, right? This is, yeah. yeah. I think that's a good sort of range to aim for. So that gives people a good reference value to a certain degree. And then list now, list what 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 you think um, is is what you have already validated and why mm -hmm. you think you're the right right list to say. Me, my team has achieved this. We have this experience here. We've already built this IP. We already have this first successful pilot. Yeah, yeah. pilots are really good. Letter of intent are really good. Pilots are pilots are great, right? Because that shows an investor that uh, the industry is already ready for this. Yeah. 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 With or us, first, when we did that, beta beta users comment. Yeah. Yeah. What, what we did, did the say? the B two B space, so we had contracts yeah. that only started running once we actually went live with the product, but we had legally signed and legally binding uh, contracts, and that really yeah. built a lot of trust. Yeah. That's, that's again, it's an early validation, right? Yeah. Uh, like, oh, people want this. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Now, let's assume you successfully closed the, the round. How mm -hmm. soon should you start with the next fundraising round? I mean, I, I, I think you, you're, yeah, in your mind, you're always fundraising in the sense of you're always building relationships, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think good communication to the existing investors is really important. I. Yeah. From what I'm seeing, the most successful companies are doing actually a really good job at that. They have like, let's say, a monthly monthly investor newsletter where they just like, hey, these are our highlights. These are our lines. Oh, we need help on this. And yeah. you really use them. Use them as uh, a resource. That's why you have that, right? Yeah. If you just see them as um, like pure financial investors, then 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 maybe you don't utilize them fully. Right. So, so that's that, uh, especially if you have investors in there who would potentially invest again or, or lead the next round. Right. Sure. Um, and then all the others that you know that are later stage, right. Um, I don't know, gently when you see them at an event, tell them about how things are going, give them an update, but try to do it a little bit natural, right? You're not mm -hmm. looking for money. And investors actually like talking to startups when they're not looking for money because it can yeah. be a much more um, conversational uh, meeting around like, where, where do you stand? What's going on? What are your pain points? What, uh, what successes? Yeah. And then I think, I don't know, what would I say? Probably the whole thing takes about half a year in the sense of like internally spend spend some time to think about your timing, the, the make a bit of a fundraising roadmap. Yeah, all these conversations around yeah. uh, um, valuation, make the investor list, uh, and then going out, talking to people, pitching, uh, 
two, three weeks and then another month to kind of figure out who is the lead, closing the term sheet. And it, yeah. Right. So, yeah, you're probably quickly at, uh, at six months, unfortunately, you know, yeah. the entire thing. That's but, a reality. Yeah. But hopefully a lot of it in preparation. So mm -hmm. once you go out and really pitch, uh, you can do it in a month or two. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. We also have sort of a follow-up. It's not a, a real question, but more of a statement. So I wonder if you agree with that from uh, Stefan. He says, the value of a company also depends on the common view because it's not yet trade on the stock exchange. It's not public yet. And therefore, it's almost irrelevant. And most important is that an investor sees the potential of the product. So basically, I think what yeah. he's saying is your, your company is worth what someone else is willing to pay for it to a certain degree absolutely absolutely and 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 that's exactly what what i uh, meant before right let's say sequoia invests in you and you get this 10 million dollar valuation then everybody else is like yeah sure here right <laughs> it, it's just like, yeah <laughs> right? but this yeah. is so mind-blowing for me because then this almost becomes to a uh, a self-fulfilling prophecy to a certain degree. So these big VC firms, these big brands, they have so much power, even if that should not be the case, if someone else would not give that company that valuation, if they do it, others will follow because, oh yeah, you did it. You have your brand, so I believe you. And then it is 10 millions of value. Yeah, That's crazy. That's reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it, But that's exactly what he's saying, right? That's the view of somebody Mm -hmm. uh what's what's the value of the opportunity here right uh yeah. the potential of of a product yes and 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 if somebody is willing to pay that um and this person is yeah. somebody that others look up to then this is uh, then you will find others who pay that right Absolutely. and then that's the price but yes of course um certain vcs can definitely control the ecosystem and make people win and others lose yes um, that's the game yes, yes. <laughs> and, but but there are many there are many ways to success right and they are sure. also a lot of different uh investors and vcs and also what i think is actually quite exciting is uh there's a lot more different forms of of, of financing also mm -hmm. opening up right like you know there's crowd investing but there is also for example revenue share vcs that are coming up more and more right. For yeah. certain businesses, this this can be really ma make a lot of sense because you need the money now. But as soon as you make a lot of revenue, you pay back, and they they don't be, they're not going to stay a big uh, stakeholder. So I think there is a lot more happening, and I think it will be beneficial for entrepreneurs that they really can choose like, oh, what type of company am I, or I want I to be, and then look for mm -hmm. that type of investor that fits your mission and plan, right? Yeah, it's a, I would say it's a really exciting time to be an entrepreneur these days. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's so much happening. And also just in Switzerland, I mean, there's so many new funds now. Yeah. And, and, and that's definitely like, there's a lot more competition in those early rounds that uh, were unseen yeah. before. That's know? great for founders because now you have an option you can choose. It's great. It's amazing. I mean, your, your goal always has to be to have two or three term sheets, not just one. Exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. Hey, Sophie, I think we could talk for hours, but I want <laughs> to wrap up already? Okay. almost. Yeah. I yeah. just want to be respectful with your time. And I want to wrap up today's episode with some rapid fire questions. So I either I give you a, a short choice, a few options to choose from, and you have to make a statement and a, a choice in one sentence. Are you ready? 
Yeah, so in okay, yeah, I, I don't know what you mean, but yes. <laughs> you will see. So the first okay. question for you is being a founder or an investor? Me, myself? Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting one because it really is both. I, I see myself also as a founder because we've kind of bootstrapped art and then we started fundraising ourselves, sure. right? And it's not like I joined a big existing fund. We, we're also fundraising. Uh, we also uh, have a long conversations every <laughs> several months about how much runway do we have? Can we pay salary this month? You know, so at the beginning yeah. of art, we are very much uh, a startup, you know. And Let's say the, the founding investor, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, they call that the emerging fund managers, we're called. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> Next one, if you had to choose between bootstrapping or VC money. I mean, if I can bootstrap it successfully, I bootstrap it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. But Early then, but then, yeah. but then, you know, then it, it all depends. It's like, do you need scale and speed? And if you need speed, sure. because then it might make sense to take some money. Yeah. yeah. The next one for you, early and small exit or big and late exit? That also uh, is, is really like for, for us as an investment thesis, we're trying to do both, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we like to have a few exits. And I think most VCs are actually looking for just IPOs and unicorns, yeah. right? I said that those fund returners. Um, our model, because we're rather small, we can actually afford to also have some earlier exits um, that are mm -hmm. quite nice for us that bring new money into the fund. And we just had an exit uh, earlier this summer from the portfolio exactly. that was um, before their seed round, actually. And for us, it was yeah. quite uh, quite nice because that, that's new money that came in that is now already invested again. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't choose. I'd love, I'd love both. Both, actually. yeah. <laughs> and if you had to make a choice between going IPO or doing a trade sale, I mean, it's always it's always great, I think, to really have big ambition and 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 think that you can run this company uh, until IPO, right? But we also see now the trend that big big companies don't don't even IPO anymore, yeah. right? Those stripes and family, right? They yeah. they're like, well, why do I even? Uh, bother with uh, with yeah all the regulations you have as a public traded company, and yeah. then yeah you, you we've seen SPACs and yeah, they're they're also there. I think is is quite some innovation happening. I'm also actually quite excited about the digital shares and tokenizations mm -hmm. of companies. I think there will be another another wave coming. Yeah, I certainly have an impression that you will probably be back here on a live Q and A session very soon, Sophie. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. There are so many more topics that we can talk about. <laughs> but for today, the very last question, I'm curious to hear what you say. San Francisco or Zurich? You're asking me all these questions where the answer is like uh, both. Like my, my, no, seriously, like I, my dream, my dream is, is eventually to have two homes. Cool. And how would you split your time then? 50-50 or in a different way? I mean, summer in Europe, winter in California. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. Cool. Yeah. Sophie, thank you so much. That was a lot of fun and the time was flying. I mean, one hour just mm -hmm. passed away in like no time. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a thank wonderful you, Black Friday weekend. And we're oh, yeah. super excited to see you back here, hopefully very soon. 
yeah, I hope so too. Thank you so much and have a good day, everyone. Oh, happy weekend. Yeah, it's Friday night. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Take care, everyone. Thank Bye. you for joining. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.